Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Well, I just wanted to look into your blue eyes again. The brown. Men been giving you a little trouble? Nothing but. Damn it, Bobby Jack. Why were you never ever as good on your feet as you were in bed? What do you do? You asking me about my sex life? Yes, I am. I divorced you. Yeah, and I saw you crying on the courthouse steps. Big deal. I don't know why she took you in the house. I fed you down with the dog. Now I'm trying to get smarter. You having any luck? Caught you looking. <laughs> what did the ladies in town say? They think three is a real interesting number. Oh, I'm 33 years old and I'm living like a nun. <laughs> Columbia Pictures presents Sally Field, James Garner. What'll I do with my life, Murphy? Murphy's Romance. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week we're going to cover the movie Murphy's Romance from 1985. The studio was Columbia Pictures, release date was Christmas Day, December 25th, 1985. The running time 107 minutes and it was rated PG-13. The budget, $13 million. The box office took in $31 million, making it the 29th ranked movie of 1985. Roger Ebert at the time gave it 3 out of 4 stars. Here's his review. The whole point of Murphy's romance is how it looks at its main characters and listens to them and allows them to live in a specific time and place. If they knew what we know, it would spoil all the fun as they flirt and pout and spar and circle each other. Murphy is quite a guy. He figures he has a lot of knowledge about human nature, and he's not shy about sharing it. He doesn't take himself too seriously, but he likes to pretend that he does. He speaks thoughtfully, moves deliberately, and lets you know what a character he is by parking his mint-conditioned 1928 Studebaker in front of his drugstore. James Garner plays this character in more or less his usual acting style, but he has been given such quietly offbeat dialogue by the screenwriters, Harriet Frank Jr., and Irving Ravitech that it comes across as a true original. Sally Field is also not particularly original in her approach to the character of Emma, who is a close relative of other Field heroines, plucky, quietly sensible, in the face of calamity. Originality is not called for in this performance anyway. It would have been a mistake to turn Emma into a colorful character, instead of letting her proceed at her own speed. Then comes the ending, which is one of the most carefully and loving written passages in any recent movie. Much depends on exactly what Emma and Murphy say to each other, and how they say it, and what they don't say. And the movie gets it all right. Murphy's Romance was directed by Martin Ritt, who also directed Fields' Oscar-winning performance in Norma Ray, and worked with her again in the less-than-successful Back Roads. Ritt specializes in movies about the rural South and Southwest. His credits also include Sounder, Hud, and Conrack. And one of the strengths of Murphy's romance is the freedom he feels to simply pause occasionally. Two examples. Listen carefully to the man who calls the bingo numbers, and the old man Murphy gives a lift to one day. They have particular voices and deliberate word choices, and they seem completely authentic. So, to a surprising degree, does the movie. And that's the end of Ebert's review. 
Now, Murphy's Romance was a favorite of my parents when it was first released, and they still rave about the film today. It's the type of movie that was a bit too mature for me as a kid, because Back to the Future, Airplane, Ferris Bueller, and the Blues Brothers were the types of movies that really caught my fancy at that age, which was seven or eight. Now, over the years, I've grown to love Murphy's Romance, and the reason is simple. The film means more to grown-ups than kids. And while I've always enjoyed the performance of James Garner and Sally Field, even at a young age, the story itself means more when you get older. Okay, let's get into the main cast. Sally Field plays Emma. Amazingly, this is the first Sally Field movie I've covered. By 1985, she was a household name and still considered one of the finest actresses in film history. Her career began in the mid-1960s on the TV version of Gidget, and that lasted a few years. She then continued her TV career with TV movies in another show called The Flying Nun. She gained acclaim in 1976 for her portrayal of a woman with many different personalities called Sybil. The next year, her film career really took off, and no pun intended, it was with the enormous hit Smokey and the Bandit with Burt Reynolds. She'd co-star with Reynolds again a year later in Hooper, and then she'd win an Oscar for Best Actress for Norma Ray. Other notable films prior to Murphy's Romance include Smoking the Bandit 2, Absence of Malice with Paul Newman, which we will cover at some point, and Places in the Heart, where she won yet another Oscar and gave the speech, which is still very much remembered today. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. So just for some context, the reason she said this was due to her early career, which I which included the fluff I just mentioned, like Gidget and the Flying Nun. James Garner plays Murphy. Now, we've kind of been on a Garner kick lately, so no need to recap his career. You can go back and listen to those episodes. In 1985, this would be a few years after his incredibly successful run on the Rockford Files on television. In 1984, he started the movie Tank, which I also saw at the drive-in with my parents, I think as a double feature. It might have been Rocky III. With C. Thomas Howe and Jenny Lee Harrison, I do own it. We'll cover it at some point. The director, Martin Ritt. Now, this would be one of the last films Ritt directed because he would die five years later at the age of 76. Now, Ebert mentioned Ritt's most famous films prior to Murphy's Romance. And his last two films would be Nuts in 1987 with Barbara Streisand. And then Stanley and Iris with Jane Fonda and Robert De Niro. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. So, it was based on a novel from 1980 by Max Schott. And it has an entirely different outcome than the film. Now, even though James Garner had a lot of success making movies in the 1960s and early 70s, he was viewed solely as a TV actor by the mid-1980s. Now, keep in mind, prior to the last maybe 20 years, there were definitely distinctions between a TV actor and a movie actor when it came to landing roles. And back then, TV actors didn't get high-profile movie roles. Because of this, Martin Ritt and Sally Field had to really push Columbia to cast Garner as Murphy. Columbia was so apprehensive about making the film because it didn't have any sex or violence. Again, in 1985, those were big sellers in film. Columbia finally relented when it realized that Field was clearly a bankable movie star due to her recent past box office successes, along with the writing team that adapted the film. So the film opens up with Emma Moriarty, that's Sally Field, and her 12-year-old son Jake, played by Corey Haim. And they're driving a pickup truck loaded with all their belongings, and they're moving to a new town in rural Arizona. Emma is a divorced single mother. The main theme of the film plays, and just so you know, all the songs in the film were written by Carol King, and she performs most of them as well. 
The ranch property is large, but the house and the barn are fixer-uppers, to say the least. And right off the bat, we get a montage of Emma fixing up the property, pretty much by herself, though Jake does help out. Emma wants to earn a living by boarding and training horses on her property, as she fixes up the ranch to accommodate horses. She places flyers all over town and on every car she sees. While placing flyers, she meets Murphy Jones, played by James Garner, who owns a small pharmacy. Murphy's Pharmacy is like an old-style store, where there's a dining counter where you can order drinks and milkshakes. Emma orders a soda and gets to know Murphy, who has lived in the same town his entire life. Lady, you're covering up my causes. Oh. Uh, Can I put it in your window? Let me see what it is. Send it to her. She's drinking it for the alcohol. You lived here long? All my life. You like it? Well, I must have, or I wouldn't have stayed. What kind of town is this? Oh, it's small, friendly, nosy. You can carry a gun, but you can't get an abortion. I don't want to do either. Morning, Murph. How's it going? Morning, Leroy. Just fine. Where do you come from? This time, Modesto, California. Then you know the rules. The rules? You like keep your front room picked up? Don't sit around in your bathrobe after 10 o'clock in the morning. Don't mess with a married man. Uh, that's part of it. The rest of it is uh, we got a Rhodes Scholar. We got a homosexual. We've got marijuana growing in with the tomatoes. We've got a man who wears his wife's nightgown. We're in the mainstream. <laughs> Actually, not yet. Just today I got called Honey, uh, Missy, and I think there was a little lady in there somewhere. Well, they're not too familiar with the ERA. It's consciousness raising you're looking for, you'll have to head east. How much do I owe you? Me 35 cents. And you don't have to tip me, I own the place. I wasn't going to. See you around. Well, yes, ma'am. Emma and Jake walk around town one night after grabbing dinner. They find Murphy at a local club performing and playing his fiddle. After performing, he comes outside and chats with Emma and Jake. Is this your boy? Yeah, this is my boy, Jake. Uh, Murphy Joe. Hi. Pleased to meet you, son. You moonlighting? 
Oh no, we just let off a little steam on the weekends, me and the high school principal and the basketball coach whenever he can get over Winslow. You going to Pearson Junior High? Yes, sir. Well, I went there. Back in the dark ages. Well, you don't look like you go back that far. Oh, lady, I'm a granddaddy. I got a four-year-old grandson named after me. Oh, hello there, Murphy. Ah, uh, Margaret, how are you? Coming over to play bridge on Wednesday? No, I'm sorry, I can't. Edith Hollis is making me spaghetti. Besides, you and Warner fight too damn much over the bidding. <laughs> well, all right for you. Looks like you don't watch much late-night television. No, I'm pretty well booked up. See, I'm a widower. That's the same as catnip to a cat. Town where the ladies outnumber you ten to one. Yeah, it's like everybody's been to the restroom. I better get back. Good night, son. What's sort of refreshing about this film, watching it today, is the deliberate pace in which it flows. And what I mean by this is there are simple scenes that would just not be included in today's films. For example, like Emma playing cards with Jake one night as she casually hums while sorting her cards to the frustration of Jake. She eventually reveals that she has gin, and then realizes it's 1 o'clock in the morning, and she apologizes for keeping Jake up so late. Now, the reason this scene is interesting is because it shows that the two only have each other, but it's not really a scene with any sort of drama. It's just a mother and son on a typical day. It's really a great scene for the character development. Each day, it seems like Emma runs into Murphy when she's running errands. Granted, it's a small town, and we also get a funny scene where Emma is applying for a business license at City Hall, and Murphy comes in to pay off all of his parking tickets because he refuses to move his vintage car from in front of his store. Have you ever had a business license before? No. Well, it'll take me a few minutes to type up the papers. Just sit down over there and no smoking. We've been waiting for you, Murphy. We've got a warrant out for you. Well, don't heat up, Jesse. I got the money right here. That's 22 tickets at $10 a piece. That's $220. 22 tickets in 22 days? Doesn't make sense. Does to me. Murphy, why don't you move the car? Why don't you move the damn parking meter, Jesse? I've talked to the town council. They won't do it. They want the parking meter there. Then we're going to be seeing a lot of each other. Mrs. Moriarty. I'll take you down here, Mr. Steele. Why are you doing this, Murphy? Uh, you having a nervous breakdown or something? If it were my dog, I'd tie it up out front, go out and give it some water, pat on the head, same thing. <laughs> it's a car, Murphy. It's an inheritance. It's a family heirloom, and I'm damn well going to keep my eye on it. They've stolen my hubcaps, they've taken my tires, they've unscrewed my Venus. I'm not going to stand still for that. Put in a supply of quarters, Murphy. You're beaten. I've got a proposal. You take out the meter, and I'll put in a tree, nice, big, full-grown one. It'll provide shade, it'll cut down on acid rain. Give the dog something to lift a leg against. Tell that to your city council. So what are you, the town oddball? When I'm pushed, I shove. Don't you know you can't fight City Hall? You can wrestle them. 
there's always a twinkle in his eye when he drops this sort of wisdom. And before you know it, the parking meter is being taken out and a nice tree is planted in its place. Next, Emma tries to obtain a loan from the bank to start her business. You're not a good risk. There's no husband on the scene to co-sign. There's no collateral. You're renting, you're paying on your truck. I don't see any assets. I'm the asset. I've been working ranches all my life. I didn't know what hair curlers were till after I was 16 years old. You're a woman. You mean to tell me if there were a fly on these pants instead of a zipper, I'd get the loan? You'd have a better chance. I'd go out on the streets, but you've only got one. Frustrated, Emma stops by Murphy's store for some aspirin and some venting. Morning. Is it? Well, no new country was invaded today, and the sun's out. I'll set up for that. Are you always this cheerful so early in the morning? If I eat my prunes and the market edges up. Well, some of us aren't in the market. Some of us are just in the soup. Something wrong? Can I have two extra strength Tylenol and a glass of water, please? Sure. How do you open this stupid thing? Oh, I get it. There's a lot of flu going around. Well, I hope I catch it. And die. What's wrong? I need a loan, and I can't get one. Hey, you're a big man in this town, aren't you? Well, I have to pay my parking tickets. How'd you like to loan me some money? No. Oh, well, that was real friendly. We're not friends. I don't know you. I don't know your character. Well, it's just like anybody else's. It's good sometimes, it's bad sometimes, but I tell you, I'm up every morning at dawn. I don't quit till it's dark. I've worked goddamn hard for all these calluses. I'm carrying these people on my books. Now, Helen Taylor was taken off Medicare because they weren't quite sure whether she needed a uh, wheelchair for a broken back. Now, Andy Stern, he uh, was fired two days before his uh, pension started after 30 years with the company. The tire company moved out and welched on their health contracts. Stu Hansen still needs digitalis. You're way down the line. I have an uncle in Dallas that would call you a bleeding heart liberal. Lady, I don't give a diddly shit what they call me. And I don't know if the organ is bleeding or not, but according to my EKG, I've got one. Well, I guess that's that. Sorry that I uh, can't make you the loan. Uh. I am on the volunteer fire department. If you barn burns, you'll see me. Well, it just might. For the insurance. Jake goes to town to try to find any job that will hire him, from a bagger to a paperboy, but no luck. Jake stops at Murphy's and asks if he can wash his car for him. Murphy says that only he touches that car, but decides to show Jake the ins and outs of his vintage 1928 Studebaker, which is in pristine condition. He then takes Jake for a ride in the country, much to the excitement of Jake. They end up picking up an older man in his late 80s who asks for a ride and then complains he's driving too damn fast. Keep in mind, the car only goes 30 miles an hour. The man decides to walk the rest of the way. 
Murphy and Jake return to the store, and Murphy tells Jake to show up at 5 p.m. every day to the store and wash glasses, and he'll pay Jake $3 an hour. And Jake is thrilled with the job opportunity. Emma sees Murphy at the horse auction and thanks Murphy for giving Jake a job. While looking at each of the horses being auctioned, Emma has an uncanny knack of finding the flaws with each horse to the amazement of Murphy. Emma finds a horse worth bidding on and Murphy wins the auction for $1,000. Emma jokingly tells Murphy that he's got $1,000 for a horse but no money for a loan. She then asks where he's going to keep the horse and Murphy casually says, with you. Emma officially has her first client. We then get a montage of Emma training her horse with Murphy looking on. One day, Emma is driving back from town with some groceries and an idiot teenager and a firebird is trying to race Emma. She tells him to go around and when he does, he cuts in front of her and she crashes into a ditch and hits her head. The kid is immediately remorseful, but the worst part, he's not insured. You having a little cry? What for? It costs three dollars for an aspirin tablet in here. Three dollars. They're charging me 150 bucks a night. My head hurts. Take your choice. Here, blow your nose. It cost a dollar for that. Well, you can pay for it. Things are picking up out your place. Yeah, how come? I put the word out. There's a mare chomping hay in your barn right this minute. Albert Salsville's. Jim Forrest came by. He left Bay. And uh, Coverly. Uh, Freeman. Freeman. Yeah, he uh, left a runny little piebald with you. Oh, uh, looks like the main line's busted. It'll be over in a minute. I'll wait. I guess I'm just feeling a little sorry for myself. I'll listen if you want to talk. I've been sitting here thinking I'm raising this kid all by myself, probably making all these mistakes, and he's going to be ruined. I have a concussion. I'm 33 years old, and I'm living like a nun. <laughs> Let's take a little walk down the hall and calm you down. I don't want to. Well, let's do it anyway. I don't want to. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, just throw your feet out here. Oh, Once around. Are these your slippers? Yes. Now, put your feet down. Don't set any records or anything. We'll just go nice and easy. Let's review your troubles. You're raising a kid. You're doing a good job. He washes his hands after he goes to the bathroom, I noticed. And your concussion is mild, I asked the doctor. You're 33? That's seasoned, but not sagging. You, uh, you're living like a nun. Next time you're asked, say yes. What do you do? You asking me about my sex life? Yes, I am. Every once in a while, I go up to Phoenix, and there's a lady there that gives me dinner and breakfast. I wondered. Did you now?
Any of them yours? I told you I go out of town. Are you feeling better? Yes. I think you're gonna make it. I mean, your color's good, prospects are good, and Christmas is coming. You got only one problem. What? That hospital nightshirt you're wearing. It's open all the way down the back. I came in to get my allergy shots for my asthma. Well, thanks so a lot for telling me. Why didn't you just parade me up and down Main Street? Again, the beauty of this film is its everyday simplicity. It's just like regular people living a normal life. When Emma returns from the hospital, she gets a surprise. Her ex-husband, Bobby Jack, played by Brian Kerwin, is sitting on her front porch. Now, this does not please Emma in the slightest, as Bobby Jack is a complete swindler and likely looking for some sort of handout, which Emma definitely does not have, nor would want to provide. However, Bobby Jack plays on Emma's sympathies by telling her his dad has died. Then Jake arrives home from school, and he's excited to see his father. While Emma is initially happy that Jake is happy to see his father, her mood quickly sours when Bobby Jack says he's back to stay. Bobby Jack does everything possible to try to woo Emma and convince that he's a changed man, but Emma simply does not buy it. She's 33 years old now, and the teenage charm from when they first met simply isn't going to work now. However, she knows that Jake needs some sort of male influence, and Bobby Jack is the father, so she apprehensively gives Bobby Jack another chance to try to change his ways, even though they're divorced, and Bobby Jack moves into the house. To Murphy's surprise, he meets the husband the next day in the stable after Bobby Jack mistakes him as a hired hand. As you might imagine, Bobby Jack is an arrogant and a pompous ass, and he has very little substance to him. Murphy isn't amused by him at all. Emma puts Bobby Jack to work at the ranch, and the city boy is less than enthused, thinking he could just waltz back into her life like he always has without putting in any effort. He even tries to fix the toilet that ends up leaking all over the house. That fails miserably, and Murphy ends up fixing it for Emma. The problem? Someone threw a cigar butt down the toilet, which caused the backup. Guess who? Every night, Emma invites Murphy for dinner, and Murphy always accepts, which never pleases Bobby Jack. But it's not his house, after all. And when it comes to intelligent conversation, Bobby Jack can't hold a candle to Murphy with all of his stories and his casual wit. One night after dinner, Emma invites Murphy to a friendly game of cards with Jake and Bobby Jack. And things are going fine, until Murphy catches Bobby Jack subtly cheating. Murphy, in his always classy but firm way, casually asks Bobby Jack to chat on the porch. Mister, I didn't care to speak in front of you, boy, but you're cheating. You're dealing off the bottom of the deck. We're only playing for matchsticks. Yeah, well, I'm usually playing for eating money. I guess I picked up a bad habit. <laughs> lose it while you're around here. Well, um, wait, what are you... What are you going to tell him about coming out here? Tell him we had a pissing contest and you won. We also catch Bobby Jack taking money from Emma's wallet while she's sleeping. Nothing has changed. Bobby Jack uses the money he stole to buy Jake a cowboy hat and then gives the impression to Jake that it's his money. Of course, while buying the hat, they run into Murphy who gives Jake some tips about how to wear a cowboy hat. They go to the movies after, which is a slasher film. I think it's Friday the 13th Part 3, since we hear the Jason sound effect. Murphy's not amused with the film, and he walks out halfway through the film. I worked in a slaughterhouse one summer. Don't have to pay good money to see it again. Sure was a lot of blood. Oh, they use ketchup. You know, they fake everything out there. Want a life there? 
saw what my dad did while we were playing cards. Maybe it's a good thing you did. He did it twice. Take after him or not, it's up to you. You're sure getting a good look at the sky tonight. See that? It's the North Star. In the old days, before they had compasses or sextants or anything, they crossed the whole ocean just by following that. Isn't that remarkable? Ugh. Sick to my stomach. Three dollars for human hamburger. Have a mint. Thanks. What's going on over there? Thursday night bingo. Bingo? You're kidding. That's great. You think you could get us in? I'd love to do something for fun. I paid my dues. I guess I can. Come on. I like bingo. I never wanted it. it. I like bingo. <laughs> oh, 72. 72. Eleven, a one, a one. H forty-three. And forty-three. Oh, wait. I got it. Bingo. Oh. Oh. Mr. Bud one. Where was the six? Yeah, there's plenty of time. I'm not even close. N42, G47, and 069. It's all correct. He's a winner. Are there any other winners? If not, I declare this game completed. Jonas, you won $68. You could buy your wife some black stockings. <laughs> Going in the bank. Ladies and gentlemen, there'll be a five-minute break. The bar's open. Hi. Hi. Sure, it's hot in there. I guess it's just my time of life. No, it's hot. You know, I think Murphy's gaining weight. You must be a good cook. Well, I wouldn't win any contests. Well, probably just comes up to your place for the company. He sure seems cheered up. I've never seen him down. Oh, honey, that man was a wreck. He's drunk the first year. Never spoke to a soul a second. Crazy about his wife. Was she sick for very long? Not a day in her life. She just turned around to say something to him and she dropped dead. Oh, 72. 72. <laughs> Seven, two. I, a 19. You don't have a one, a nine. Okay. And 40. 
She's got N three six. N three six. N three seven. N three seven. The free spot. The free spot. N forty. N four zero. And N three five. She's got them all, Henry. I've got them all. I've got them all. Are there any other winners? If not, I declare this game completed. How much I win? Well, ma'am, the biggest part of the night. Yeah. Two hundred dollars. Oh my God. I'm going to have to bring you here more often. Now, where did you guys go? You missed the best part. That guy got it right in the forehead with a hatchet. It split his skull like a melon. It was so great. I won. What? I won $200 at Tic Tac Bingo, just like that. I won. Are you kidding me? It makes up for the money that somehow got itself lost out of my purse. Oh, that's great. I'm running a little short. Could you loan me 20? What a scumbag. In another scumbag move, Bobby Jack decides to invite the whole town over to the ranch to celebrate his wedding anniversary to Emma, which, of course, she no longer celebrates. Things finally come to a head during the party. What kind of husband were you, Murphy? I don't know that I was so easy to live with. I uh, don't demonstrate everything I feel. I am stubborn. I was a little tight about money. They say if you have one good marriage, you can have another. Now they're rare. I know. I was a little surprised to find a woman in love with me. Why, don't you like yourself? Yes, I do. I just didn't expect it to be contagious. Your big help in the kitchen. Finish those dishes, Dad? Still at it, son. You two got a lot to talk about, don't you, Dad? We exchange a few words, son. You know what I think, Dad? Could we sever this family relationship? I'm not your dad. I wouldn't be too happy if I were. I think you're banging Emma. Bang. I have an ugly expression for that particular pleasure. <clears throat> How about fucking? I don't like that one a whole lot better. Yeah, but that's what's going on, isn't it? If I'd had that privilege, I wouldn't be taking it up with you over a garbage can. Well, I'm taking it up with you. You are a miserable little son of a bitch. You know that? 
I don't know why she took you in the house. I'd bed you down with the dogs. And I'll tell you something else, mister. You may be a lot younger and stronger, but you're about to get your ass kicked from here to the state line. And I'm wearing the boots that can do it. You're a feisty old booger, aren't you? I thought we'd just settle that. <laughs> I love it. James Garner is just so perfect in this role, and, and for that matter, so is Sally Field. By the way, that last scene was the reason the movie got a PG-13 rating instead of PG. Alright, there's about 30 minutes left, and by now, if you haven't seen the film, you really need to. Will Emma continue to let Bobby Jack freeload off her because she wants Jake to have a father around? Or will Emma and Murphy become an item? Or simply remain platonic friends? You'll just have to watch the film and find out. I will say there's a bit of a surprise twist that you probably won't expect. You also find out how old Murphy really is. Now look, films like this could be made today, but they wouldn't work as well, simply because there isn't an acting equivalent of Sally Field and James Garner. They're two bona fide movie stars, and this is why you need to do yourself a favor and not worry about seeing every new film that is released nowadays. Check out the films from the past you've never seen, or revisit the films that you haven't seen in a while. You're going to enjoy your media time a whole lot more. Alright, some fun facts. So the film was nominated for two Oscars, but it lost both. James Garner was nominated for Best Actor, and he lost to William Hurt for Kiss of the Spider Woman. And then Best Cinematography lost out to Atta Africa. This was the only time James Garner was ever nominated for an Oscar. Columbia Pictures really wanted Marlon Brando for his quote-unquote box office allure, even though he hadn't been in a film since 1980. This film would have been a disaster with Brando, especially at this point in his career. Paul Newman was also considered, which makes sense, since he would have fit the role much better than Brando, and he had worked with Sally Field on Absence of Malice. But again, James Garner was the character of Murphy. Now you might notice that the soda Coke is often mentioned in the film, and this wasn't by mistake. Columbia Pictures was owned by the Coca-Cola Corporation at the time. So the movie was filmed in Florence, Arizona, and that small downtown Main Street is still preserved to this day. So while Sally Field plays a character that is skilled in horse riding, she apparently had never ridden a horse a day in her life before this. And there was an article published in the January 1986 edition of Cosmopolitan magazine that reported that Field was challenged in portraying an expert horsewoman in this picture. Well, she pulled it off. All right, this is a bit of a spoiler, but I'll give it to you anyway. Sally Field said that her on-screen kiss with James Garner on the film was the best cinematic kiss she had ever experienced. There you go. All right, it is time for our guests. We have two special guests. It's a dynamic duo of Metal Mike Tyler and Bill Roseberry. Metal Mike definitely remembers this film from his childhood, but Bill had never seen it. So this is a nice yin and yang, so we get the veteran and the guy who we're going to get his fresh take on the film. And then I'll be back next week to talk about yet another film and a random one from my DVD collection. Okay, we're back with a dynamic duel of Metal Mike Tyler and Bill Roseberry. Welcome back, boys. Thanks for having us, Brian. It's an honor. What's going so this, on? This is a fun one because Bill had never seen this movie before. Mike, on the other hand, uh, I had originally scheduled with him because he's kind of a connoisseur of all things 80s movies. So um, it's nice to have this little kind of introduction for Bill and then, you know, a revisit for Mike. Uh, so we'll start with Mike. Uh, did did you see this in the theater when it first came out or was this I did kind of not. a cable this video? I think it was yeah. a cable. My mom and dad might have rented it because both of them were, well, my dad just was in love with Sally Field, but hell, who wasn't, you know? Sure. 
and um and and my mom and dad both love James Garner, so you know they were, you know naturally they're going to be attracted. And it was just one of the times where I would watch a lot of movies with my parents. You know, I wasn't um, even as a teenager, man. I was never like like some teenagers would be embarrassed by their parents or they were too cool for their parents. I was like, fuck it, let's, let's watch a movie, man. You know. Yeah. And um, you know, so I I watched it with him, and I mean, it's just a good old movie, man. It's just a really good movie, and the cool thing about it is. I, there's an emotional attachment to it for me now because of my mother, mm-hmm. you know, um, and who I lost a few years ago. So, you know, uh, yeah, it's it's a cool flick, man. Um, and Bill, he was like, I don't think I ever heard of it, man. So it's like, well, you can watch it with me if you want. And here we are. That's good. So, you know, again, I was telling Bill when we were kind of taking a break, you know, films like this just aren't made anymore. And it's a shame because in a way it sort of makes sense because there are simply no more movie stars like in the past so you think about this is a very basic plot but you personally your parents checked out this film because of the two main stars you had sally field and james gardner they had a legacy where you would simply go give a film a shot because they were in it and so i'm assuming that was the initial draw i mean you kind of mentioned it but you know when when they first saw the film i think they were like okay well who knows but at least they're in this let's check this out sure and at that time, you know, um, it's the beginning of video rentals mm-hmm. during that, you know, so it was very common. And also we had cable by the time I got, I think like junior high, we got, we finally got cable, which was a huge deal. And that's how a lot of films that uh, uh, probably, I mean, I don't really know how much money Murphy's Romance uh, did. I'd never heard of it before I'd seen it on, on mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was cable. It might have been VHS. Um, but it's like those movies like Eddie and the Cruisers. It became a cult film because of cable. Yep. Um, and the same thing with um, uh, Somewhere in Time, which is another one of my mother's favorite films. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you, you got these little movies that sometimes – you know, it sometimes it takes a while for a film to find its niche or its audience, man. Mm-hmm. Blade Runner is another example. Guess what, folks? Blade Runner was not a huge box office hit when it came out. It was no, not. I not was there, you know, yep. but over years it, it's got to where, oh, my God, it's a sci-fi classic now. That happens sometimes with films. Sometimes it, uh, Walt Disney with Fantasia, that didn't make a lot of money when it came out. Because sure. people just didn't get it at the time. They're like, what is this? You know, now it's considered one of his best. So sure. And Murphy's Romance actually did pretty well because these types of movies weren't expensive to make. I mean, it's not an action film. And so right. it made over $30 million and it, it was in the top 30 of oh, films. I, yeah, exactly. And uh, so, Bill, like, I, I'm assuming this was, even though Mike had recommended it and you trust Mike's judgment, I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, but just hearing about the stars, I'm sure you were just, it, it probably piqued your interest. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, I I, uh, I like Sally Field. And I, I like James Garner. I just, before I get into that, just looking, yeah. I, looking I got my IMDb up, up here mm-hmm. on the computer. And I didn't realize that James Garner was nominated for Best Actor for that yeah. role. Uh, That's right. In six Oscars. And then it was up for Best Cinemato- Cinematography. And then him and Sally Field were both nominated for Golden Globes that year, too. So it That's was right. Pretty acclaimed movie. I I was nine when it came out, so probably why it kind of maybe went past your radar. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I, I don't remember. I'm surprised my parents didn't rent this, but Sally Field, obviously, you know, for me growing up, Smokey and the Bandit, come on, you know, Forrest sure. Gump. I mean, those were the things for me. But she's done so much more than that. So I just watched right before this because I've been on a I I watched the Arnold uh, documentary on. Uh, <laughs> Netflix and I've been watching Fubar and I've been 
all about Arnold here lately because I love yeah. Arnold. <laughs> and uh, so I went back and I watched Stay Hungry. I had mm. never seen it. And uh, she was great in that. That was right at the beginning. That might have been about the first thing she ever did. Well, uh, she was in the Flying Nun TV show, but you're right. She didn't right. just play yes. Gidget, but yeah. Yeah, she was a TV star. She yeah, hadn't she really was. done a lot of films. Was she That's right. was the Flying Nun or she was Gidget, right? She was she Gidget was. and the Flying Nun. She yep. did yeah. both. I watched Gidget when I was a kid, too. I remember watching that on, on TV and then, you know, uh, you know, in reruns and syndication. And then for James Garner, I think for me, probably my big introduction to James Garner was when I was a kid, loved the great escape. You know, I watched mm-hmm. all the time. Now my favorite character, the great escape is Steve McQueen. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. Steve McQueen's so badass. Uh, I, I, I can't, I can't get enough Steve McQueen, but James Garner was cool too. And he was great in that. And then I'd watch Rockford files when I was a kid. That so, yeah. I, I always have had a soft spot for James Garner. And it's like, Brian, you and I were just talking in conversation. He just, he could be super laid back and just mm-hmm. cool and nice or, he could have like that twinkle in his eye or, or yep. he could turn into being a tough guy where you, you man, I don't know if I want to fuck with this guy. He might mess me up because he was a pretty yeah. good sized guy. And then he had like that, that kind of rugged sexiness about him too. Kind of like a Tom Selleck. Like exactly. Said, there's yep. A, there's a, a pretty good comparison there. I never really thought about it, but uh, he did all that stuff in Murphy's romance. I mean, he was, he was great. He was the movie. I mean, I mean, Murphy was was really neat in that. He, he had the natural likability. He was a hard worker, and he yep. had that kind of wisdom that she was looking right. for. Um, Mike, I, I'm assuming, were you introduced through Rockford Files, or was it before that uh, for Garner? Rockford Files, and my grandma loved old westerns and even old west oh, TV right. shows. Oh, so yeah. Maverick, That's Maverick. Right. You know, he was Maverick, um, and yep. I always thought that was so cool. Like when they did the 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 film with Mel Gibson and Jodie Foster. And the whole time I'm going, oh, that's really cool that he's in it, but he's playing a different character. And then you find out later he is Maverick. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, Mel Gibson's dad. I, I love that, you know, because it's like my pappy said, I never told you that. And he dunks <laughs> him in the bathtub, uh, which I thought was actually a, a really funny film. I like that movie. I, I just think he was just so natural, you know, Matt, yeah. uh, James Garner was, you know, and I, I like I kind of gravitate more towards those type of actors. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm impressed with, you know, your Daniel Day Lewis's and those guys. Those guys are amazing and they're brilliant actors, but I like your guys that are more like your Jack Nicholson's, Humphrey Bogart's, James Garner, Clint Eastwood, John Wayne kind John of guys. Wayne. Yep. You know, the guys that uh, are still convincing in their roles. Joseph Cotton's another one I like a lot. Sure. Guys they're, like they're, that, you know. They're so uh, Arnold. Even, uh, Arnold. Well, hell yeah, Arnold, yeah. you know. But they're so good. Saying. They're so good that you don't even feel like they're acting. I think that's the right. Rap. They're so that's natural. The yeah, I that's just the watched John. Hercule- New York, and I definitely <laughs> felt like I wasn't acting in that. <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, he was known as Arnold Strong back then. Right, so, right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I. But seriously, I mean, that's how John Wayne was kind of labeled. Like, but I think that's he. He was underrated as an actor because they thought he wasn't really acting, and I. That's actually uh, not true at all, and I think uh, nobody really does that for Garner. But uh, yeah, this I. I think it's really cool where you have certain actors like him, uh, where some people know him as Maverick. Other people know him as Rockford. Some people might even think of him from grumpy old men. Uh, you know, again, you have like Burgess Meredith who yeah. knew him in the thirties. Other people knew him as the penguin. Then other people knew him as Mick from Rocky. So, I mean, I, 
people that can last that long, it's it's pretty awesome. Uh, going back <laughs> like to the Chuck's gonna take the skin boat to Tuna Town. That's <laughs> what I know. <laughs> you know, I was gonna say something about yeah. like a guy like a James Garner or John Wayne or anything. We talk about it at work all the time with with training all these people that we got to go to and trying to build a relationship with them to to kind of get them to to be able to come to us with questions and make them feel comfortable as they're starting their new job. And one of the things we talk about all the time is is authenticity. Yeah. Authenticity authenticity builds trust with people. And it makes people gravitate towards you and 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 like you. That's something that those guys have. James Garner had that authenticity. I, yeah. that's Very much it, so. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I for me the draw to this film and I, Mike Mike's parents. I was introduced because my parents loved this film, and I, I always kind of gravitated to what they recommended. I I I think that's what's good. That's who've turned me into the film fan that I am and I think the draw to this film is the dialogue because it's just I guess you were saying the authenticity the human interaction between Emma and Murphy the entire film just feels natural and I, I think that's why it bears repeat viewing what, what do you think Mike yeah I would I would say so you know um, just very uh like the character he plays is very likable and I think sure. part of it's just because he is likable anyway. Like I said, he's so natural in the roles that he plays, you know. I mean, Murphy's he's quite a character. He's got a code of honor and he's also but he can be really stubborn sometimes, like the oh. whole parking thing was oh, hilarious. Yeah. That was you know? the car. Yeah. Right, you know, and he and uh and but he always seems to find a way to get his way. You know, Always. and uh, you can see why he's so well liked in the town and everybody loves Murphy, man. I mean, That's look right. how they all showed up for his birthday party, man. That's and, right. And, and 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 then you find out more about him from his friends and stuff. Yes. And the fact that he was married and like broken hearted, devastated when she died and everything. Mm -hmm. And it's just a really cool film. And, and at first, you know, she's all like wanting his help. And he's all like, look, I don't know you. Yeah. <laughs> he's well, all like. Okay. But you're you're rooting for Emma too because she is a hard worker. She's starting from nothing. She's trying to rebuild her life with with a kid. Oh, for I sure, mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's going through a really really um hard time in life. Like you said, she's starting over. She's trying yeah. to start her own business, and and it's just really cool how he handles it because he's he doesn't loan her money, but he buys yeah. that horse and says, "Well, I'm going to stable her at your place, and you're going right. I'm going to pay you to take care of her and do what you do." And then word of mouth, man. Next thing you know, her business is booming. Exactly. And, and like you said, he's so well respected in the community. It's like getting that seal of approval was enough. Bill, so you're you're watching this with fresh eyes. I, I, you know, how, how do you feel? How are you feeling watching this? Are you like kind of like, yeah, I wish I'd seen this before. Or were you like, eh? yeah, yeah. no, I, I would have seen it before. And I mean, I I, I liked Murphy because he had like that code of honor and he just was a he had that edge to him. He'd stick up for himself and he'd fight and he, he, he was some feistiness to him. But like. There was that time that they were playing cards and, and Bobby Jack was dealing yes. with Bobby Jack. And he goes, can we step outside and talk? And he and he says something to him about it, you know, and, uh, you know, he calls him out, but he didn't call him out in front of Emma and Jake, you know. That's right. And then later on when Jake tells Murphy, you know, which was Corey Haim, the, the son, you know, Jake says, I saw dad cheating at cards or whatever. And, and then Murphy's like, well, then you need to. 
you need to make a decision now, son. Do you want to follow in his footsteps or do you want to be different? You know, I mean, he kind of tested their character a little bit and in a good way. I mean, he, he, he made them kind of look inwards at themselves. I think he did the same thing with Emma, you know, with the whole thing with starting her business. And, and, and that was a cool characteristic of him. He even did it to Bobby Jack a little bit too, but Bobby Jack was just a putz. Oh yeah. He was, he wasn't going to figure things out, but I mean, I guess he was trying in his own way, but he was just an idiot. But uh, well, I, I love that you brought that up because it really that's the right that's the deal with people like he wasn't lecturing. He presented this argument, not even an argument. He presented this scenario and it's up to you to figure it out. Now, he's laying it out yeah. for you, but he's not going to push you one way or the other. And I think right. I think that, that's judgmental and, and that's those, right. those type of people are people that that you're, you gravitate towards because that's right. You know, nobody likes people pointing fingers and bossing you around and being judgmental and little snide comments that, you know, it gets on your nerves, you know? I mean, no doubt. I got, I had a gal I worked with the other day. She was, we're, we're salaried employees and she's decided one day she wanted to come in it. She was coming in earlier in the day. She was coming and I, we haven't had anybody to train. I'm working on some projects. I came in later in the day, but I stay later than her. So what's it matter? And she made some comment when I, I was sitting there doing my work and she was talking to a maintenance guy who was in there. She's like, I'm going to quit coming in so early. Nobody else comes in that early. And I stopped what I was doing. I turned around. I looked at I go, it doesn't matter. Who cares? I'm like, I'm going to work later than you. It doesn't matter what time I work. Just do your job and don't worry about it. Yeah, you're right? not my boss. Just don't look and worry about what I do. Fuck Man, I hate off. that shit. Yeah. And Murphy wouldn't be like that at all. Murphy just be like, you know, he might just uh, say I'm coming in late every day and then leaving early every day. Maybe he'd be like, hey, you know what? I've noticed you've been coming in late and leaving early. Do you, do you think that's a good idea? You know, it might. Might bring up a bad, uh, you know, might might put you in, in a bad spot in the eyes of the boss. I'm just saying, you know, it's something to think about. And then he'd never bring it up again and he'd walk away, you know. That's Those right. Are how you, and, and he'd make you start looking at yourself and be like, yeah, maybe I should, you know, do a little bit better here. You know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's just the way the way he presented things to people was was really cool. I think <laughs> he, a lot of people planned. could take a lot out of a character. Sure. Like well, I love the part yep. where he calls him out about uh, Bobby Jack about the cards and he goes, yep. well, what do we say in front of the boy? Tell him we had a pissing contest. Yeah, right. and he won. <laughs> yeah there you go. He won, right? I mean, there's a He's lot of funny the, parts yeah. in the movie, man. There are like he, when they're, when they're fighting over her dancing, you know, they keep going back and forth. Finally, she's like, yeah. wait a minute. Why don't you guys dance with each other? And I got to give Bobby Jack credit. Cause he's like, care to, <laughs> and, you know, Murphy's that like, that was hilarious. All right, I'll leave, you know, scene. blah, blah. They start. Yeah. It's hilarious. I didn't see that coming at all. That was great. <laughs> it's Come almost on. like Bobby even liked Murphy in spite of himself. He you did. know, he was jealous of him, obviously, oh, yeah. but it was like he, 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 you know, you couldn't help, but you just can't help but like Murphy, man, because he's cool. That's right. Well, and, and as Bill was saying, he plants seeds and then he walks away, you know, um, we'll, we'll steer to the, uh, the one child in this film and it's Corey Haim, who I, I think this, he often gets overlooked for his pre Corey Feldman, uh, films, but he was in a lot of good, uh, films where he played the son of, of someone. How, how did you feel about him, you know, basically being, um, you know, the only kid in this film? I thought he did a fine job. I've always thought Corey was a good actor. You know, I mean, he was good and firstborn, too. Yeah. Um, Silver um, bullet. 
Silver Bullet. Yeah. So, you know, I've always I've always liked Corey, man. And what happened to him is it's tragedy. It's really sad, you know. Yep. Um, and Luke. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, we talked about that. We talked maybe. about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I thought he did just fine. You know, like the, I thought everybody in, in the movie was really good. Even the guy who plays her ex, man, because Bobby's not a bad guy, but he's just he needs to grow the fuck up. He's a fuck up. Right. Yeah. He's a fuck up, man. And, 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 you know, but my favorite part, hands down, is when he confronts Murphy at the party that they're having. And, you know, and, and they're oh, going, yeah. oh, still at it, Dad? Uh, yeah, still at it, son. You know, and they're going back and forth with that. And he goes, can we sever this father son relationship? <laughs> I'm not your pa. I wouldn't be too happy if I were. And, you know, of course, he confronts him about, you know, the, the possibility of him um, having, um, relations with uh uh you know emma and Mm -hmm. uh of course you know and it's and you know he keeps pushing it like you know murphy's trying to be cool and just like well i wouldn't be taking that up with you even well i'm taking up with you and then he just goes you really are a miserable little son of a bitch you know that i don't know why she took you in i'd have bet you down with the dogs i'll tell you something else mister you're about to get your ass kicked from here to the state line and i'm wearing the boots that can do it and he's like you're a feisty old fart and he goes i thought we already discussed that and that's what i love about murphy man he ain't confrontational unless you push him but if you push him he will push you back yeah. Right, he's like the type of guy who wouldn't start it, but he damn well finish it. Right. Well, I, I kind of skipped a line because there was that one part. He goes, "You might be younger and stronger, but you're about to get your ass kicked from here in the state line." <laughs> That's right. I'm wearing the boots that can do it. So it, we'll wrap up here. Um, so, Bill, I mean, would you rewatch this movie, or or is this a one and done for you? I uh, I'd rewatch it again down the road. I don't know if it's something that I I add to my collection or not but uh but i definitely rewatch it down the road and i'd i'd recommend it to somebody if they're looking for a slice of life movie and you know like that line that mike just said i mean there's ways that i always talk about you know like gone with the wind you know that would be a perfect example you know frankly my dear i don't give a damn you know Mm -hmm. how that line would be fuck you you fucking bitch fuck off you know exactly you can do something a little bit classier. And and that was that line that Murphy just had with Bobby Jack. He didn't look at him and say, I'm going to fuck you up. You know, he said it with class and there's, right. there's ways that, that you can do that. And sometimes, sometimes that's refreshing to watch that in some movies. And, and you don't get that a lot with new, new movies today. I mean, they just, you know, well, the, script, just, the scripts are terrible. Yeah, like the, the we dialogue. Recorded, we, though, yeah. we just recorded for one of my, my favorite guys with <laughs> dialogue and everything. Yeah. And, and and fuck is one of his favorite words talking about Quentin Tarantino. I mean, so I mean, I can't. I I like that stuff too. But every now and then, it's refreshing to see there there there's there's a lot you can say a lot and have a lot of character in in the way a movie's portrayed and have a little class to it by not cursing. You know, Humphrey sure. Bogart was a perfect example of that. I mean, he he's he gave lines out. You know, though that was one of the things I think I. I kind of respected about this movie is the way the way Murphy would say things. He just said things with with a little bit of class and and uh, and culture. Respect. You know, yeah. I, I totally think it's lazy screenwriting now. Um, you can get actually. I mean, again, th- this is the example I use all the time in Planes, Trains and Automobiles. There is no swearing in yeah. the film until the yes. funniest scene in the film. And the reason it works Perfect. is because there was no swearing. Uh, but when but when do it it's it's absolutely perfection so yeah that that's a great example brian i mean that that is that line right there when steve martin's going off on her 
is so hilarious. Well, it's it's the same thing with the Clark Griswold break, uh, yes. meltdowns in Vacation and Christmas Vacation. I mean, exactly. He just loses it and goes off, and it's hilarious because the rest of the movie hasn't been like that. You know, I mean, you look nope. forward to that. It's it's like a metal mic meltdown, right? <laughs> Less is more. Well, you know, um, it kind of reminded me of something. You mentioned uh, Gone with the Wind, and frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I kind of had a, a similar moment in my life where an ex of mine um, who did me really wrong – uh, the thing that should not be is what I call her. And the, and the only reason why I'm bringing her up is because, you know, a few months went down and, and I guess she realized that the grass indeed was not greener on the other side. And she tried to reach out to me uh, through her, her, her daughter, my stepdaughter. And uh, so I get these screen caps from my stepdaughter, Destiny, and it's all her basically begging her for my phone number and, Destiny's like, I ain't giving you his phone number. What are you on crack? No way, you know. Um, but one of the funny things about it was, is when I first saw it, I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me, man. This can't, you know. And I made a joke about, because I just joined that metal station, right? And uh, uh, I said, well, if she wants to hear my voice, you know, she said something about missing my voice. I said, she can listen to me on that metalstation.com. And I meant that as a joke, right? Well, <laughs> Destiny tells her that. Next thing I know, she's acting all excited. And, oh, my God, that's so awesome. Is he a DJ? And, you know, tell him, you give him my number and tell him to call me. And then she's like, ask my, I mean, and my response after that was like, first of all, I was just joking about the radio station. I said, second of all, you can tell your mother from me that she must have me confused with someone who still gives a fuck. <laughs> A little bit more updated, you know. I'm using yeah. the F word, so not as sophisticated as Clark. No, Mike, you're not sophisticated, Mike. I'm no. not sophisticated <laughs> at all. You know, no, I can't they're, be they're, when I want to be, but you're, you're but, uh, the reason the South lost the war, Mike. Good job. Yeah. So. <laughs> hey, man, you know, somebody had to do it. I am. <laughs> well, again, guys, you guys are always terrific. I'm glad <laughs> we got to introduce this film to Bill, and I'm glad I got to re, you know, bring it back into to Mike's life. So, again, thank you guys for doing this. No problem, man. Thank you You're for welcome. having If you are ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video and San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open six days a week and closed on Wednesday and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain, Captain Video. Video. Captain Video. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.